Quadrant Podcast, Episode 1. Alright, here it is, our episode number one, finally. So, we bring you here today a very special guest. Now, uh, to begin the podcast, would you please present yourself so the audience knows a little bit who are you listening to? Okay, well, um, my name is David Raffray, and I'm uh, originally from the United States, Um, right now, I'm living in Tokyo, Japan, uh, teaching English and uh, working on... Um, uh, I, I've recently been, uh, I guess, promoted to the position of... Um, uh, I don't even know what it is. It's, uh, um, I don't know. <laughs> what is it? I don't even remember the name they gave me, but it was some... It was like the... Uh, the art director or something like that for the the company uh the kanto region of my company which really it doesn't mean anything but it sounds good on a resume so yeah okay. congratulations um, on your promotion yeah exactly yeah and i've um right now the union is fighting with the company um so all of our annual raises have been held up and everything so they're gonna have to pay us retroactively back to the beginning of the contract because no one got a raise and uh it's a big mess but um yeah it does look good on a resume uh that that word director so um it's also <laughs> worth mentioning that you you have an eye for photography in fact uh, i have several times been taking looks to all the pictures you put in instagram and they're really quite good yeah i think i got better over time because Um, my photos used to be crap a long time ago, and um, but I think the good thing was is I knew they were crap, and so I kind of knew what I wanted to do to improve them. And I think only recently I finally kind of hit my stride with the visual style I've always wanted to get. With what's the what's the username, or is there any way to search for you on Instagram? What 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 do we need if any of our listeners wants to to take a look at your work? Oh, my username is DMR0601, and uh, just put it into Instagram and it'll come up. Um, I think I might uh, frustrate some people because I post so much. No, <laughs> think, it's, it's yeah, good. It's average. good. It, it gives no, a lot to people see. People like that. Yeah, it, it, there's yeah. a lot of content. And how long yeah. did you start uh, taking pictures? I mean, um, when, when I did you I've... buy your first cam camera? Well, actually, that's funny because um, when I take all of my, my photos, um, I don't like lugging around a big heavy camera. And um, I used to have just a small point-and-shoot camera a long time ago. But um, the uh, mobile phone or smartphone um, cameras have gotten so good that I just use my iPhone to take all of my pictures. So... Um, Yeah, and, and for anyone listening, you should really take a look at the pictures this guy takes with his with his phone because they're really... I mean, I, I couldn't believe it the first time I saw it. I thought they were taken with a yeah. more professional-level camera. They're I haven't really seen good. them, but after we, 
we we finish the podcast, I'll definitely watch. Uh, yeah, he's curious now. <laughs> oh, good. I love followers and I like feedback. I like people telling me what they think about stuff because uh, I don't know. It feels like you know um, I'm actually doing it for a reason. <laughs> so. Hopefully um, you wake up with like a hundred new followers saying stuff. You suck, no, just kidding. Hey, even if they don't like it, it's good. I like the feedback because then I can improve it more and see what people like. So, yeah, um, that's the attitude, man. Yeah, um, but um, it's really like um, I used to post uh, on Facebook or whatever. I used to post really big albums of all of my photos when I take a trip somewhere, and that's kind of evolved into Instagram. And I mean, it's so weird and cliche because everyone uses Instagram now, but it really does. It works for me. You know, it's it's great because I'm constantly uploading and you can go back and see, you know, every incremental step I've taken over the past, you know, yeah, two or three years it. now that I've... You can yeah. see the progression you uh, had. You see everywhere I go, you know, exactly when I went places and everything. It's kind of neat. Uh, to like have this timeline, this photographic timeline of, of everything. And, and it's, I'm picking the best pictures. It's not like a, a pile of photos that um, people don't really want to look through okay. for the, the good ones. And so, um, I mean, and of course I keep all of the other vacation photos. I have a, um, I have a, uh, a hard disk drive for my, uh, my computer and it's, um, I think I have something like 75,000 photos or something on it. Oh, from... thanks God you do not publish them all. <laughs> so maybe over four years, I've taken 75,000 pictures uh, on my phone. So wow, that's, um, that's a lot. I do what I can to pick the best ones for everybody <laughs> and post oh. it on Instagram. So. Good job. So have you? Do, do you know which story are you going to share with us today? Um, well, I have many, but I think, um, it's, uh, I have the background story on why I ended up in Japan, you know, and I think that's really important to understanding why I enjoy, well, first of all, enjoy being here. And second of all, why, um, I enjoy traveling around so much. And, uh, you know, it started because when I was a kid, um, we were really poor in, um, in Louisiana, it's a state I grew up in. Louisiana is a really poor state. It's uh, in the south. It's in the middle of the Bible Belt. Uh, there's not a lot going for it. Um, the only career options you really have are tourism and oil. You know, it's pretty limited. And agriculture. So um, as a kid, you know, I never really thought I would ever leave my hometown. Because it was a small rural town in the middle of sugarcane fields. And um, I was trapped because we were poor. We never left. We never went anywhere. And so I had a lot of wonder about the world around me. And um, my parents divorced when I was really little. And um, my mom lived the next city over. And as a kid, um, I was always more excited about the trip to see my other parent than actually seeing the other parent, I think, as a kid. Um, the, uh, the, the opportunity to look out the window and see everything around, you know, because I was always stuck at home as a kid. You look and, um, forward to the change, right? To yeah, I just things. I looked forward to seeing things outside of the little fish tank I lived in in, in my, my little small town. 
um, and being able to see, I, I was always interested in bridges and highways and roads and everything and being able to get out for that one hour car ride, um, was something I always looked forward to as a kid, always. Um, and I mean, that continued over the years. My dad had custody of me and that's really rare in America for the, the man to have the custody of the kid. And, um, he was in the military uh, so he was really strict and everything, and I never really thought that, uh, I mean, like I said, I never really thought that I would ever leave. I thought I would be stuck there forever, but, um, but when I was in happened, middle school, didn't it? Okay. yeah, I mean, middle school, um, I had this weird um, obsession with Canada for some reason when I was in sixth or seventh grade, um, where I wanted to go to Canada. And I think a lot of it had to do with, um, there were a lot of documentaries on TV about Canada because it's so close to the U.S. I felt like it was something that was actually accessible for me. Europe, too far away. Asia, too far away. And um, and this is before the internet was really big. So there weren't videos readily available. There was no YouTube. Um, there was no Wikipedia. <laughs> so um, it, it was, the ability to get information was kind of limited to my grandmother's 40-year-old encyclopedias that she had collecting dust on the shelf. Give, so, me, give me a little context on this. You mentioned you were in middle school. For those of our listeners who are not American, they have no clue what a middle school means. What age were you? Uh, I think I was um, maybe 12 or 13 years old. Right. Maybe 11, something like in that in that range. And... Um, I was watching TV more at that age, you know, um, whenever I was really little, I played outside all the time. Um, and I used my imagination. I had a whole city in my backyard and I would ride my bicycle. Um, and I had, cause we lived really far out, so we didn't have any neighbors or anything. So I would ride my bicycle out into the, the sugarcane fields. And, um, I had this wild imagination. I had freeways and buildings and expressways all in my imagination out in and the does this field. connect with your obsession with canada were you always imagining things about canada based on these documentaries you were seeing well i think um you know canada was more accessible because me media wise uh canada produces a lot of media for the united states and so you have more of an opportunity to see into canada you know and i was always curious what it, what it must be like living in Canada. And it's weird because it's exactly the same. I've been there three times and you almost can't tell the difference. I mean, they use the metric system. That's the only difference. And, um, and so uh, later on though, yeah, seventh grade, I was voted most likely to become a politician, which stems from um, my, my uh, ability to argue about anything. I'm always arguing about my point. Um, <laughs> I should have been a lawyer, <laughs> but um, I was voted most likely to become a politician for some reason and, mo and vo voted most likely to leave the country <laughs> in seventh grade by seventh graders. Okay. Um, just to give you an idea of how uh, intense my interest was in getting out, you know, and um, by the time I got to high school, um, you know, I, I still, I was interested in traveling abroad. Um, but in 10th grade, um, we had an exchange student that came from Japan. And that was really what changed things. Because she um, was this 
living, breathing thing from alien Japan, right? Yeah, I mean that's exactly what it was. Is I mean she is from an alien planet, as far as I was concerned. You know, um, it, everything from fashion to her books that she had were all in Japanese, and her music that that she had, and it was wow. I never had an opportunity up until that point to um, see into any type of Asian culture. It was so limited where um, in the area that I was living in. And um, I became completely fascinated by it. I remember um, my library in um, high school, they bought a, um, a Japan travel guide, like a Fromer's travel guide or something. And I think I... I rented the book out um, six or seven times in a row, <laughs> just looking at the pictures and studying the pictures and just reading it and reading it and reading it. And um, but around that time, um, I, I became really interested about Japan because it, it was even more alien than Canada. And um, I saw and actually having someone from Japan, you know, it was like I could finally learn something. Because once again, going back, this is. 2002, so this is way before the the current internet <laughs> that we have today. And yeah, so, it was before Japan was you know this thing that everyone desired, <laughs> especially on the internet. So that year yeah. you re you realized that you wanted to go to Japan. Yeah, and and having her there, I, I was able to learn hiragana and katakana, which are the two phonetic writing systems in Japanese. And when I learned them. Um, it opened up a whole new spectrum of material, information about Japan. You know, I could finally search in Japanese on Google or whatever. And um, so um, I think that how really... long How long did it take you to learn? Oh, learn hira hiragana and katakana, maybe a week. Yeah, I mean, for each. a week? Yeah, holy really quick. crap! I I took Japanese classes for a year, and it took me like four months just to get a, a little <laughs> yeah, but, bit close to knowing. He was passionate about Japan. He was. Sure. He wanted. Um, I I had my flashcards. And, oh, okay. Um, I still have some. I I get confused uh, when I look at them. <laughs> I have to think about them. I only know the pronunciation because it's in context when I'm reading it. But um, yeah. I mean, this really um changed the whole the whole dynamic of things you know but still at this point um we're still poor and i'm never going to japan ever you know? and then um and then right after um lost in translation came out and yeah, well, yes that was really it i think um that movie it portrayed tokyo in this mysterious kind of way uh this alien kind of way you know and um The, just I, I remember just watching it over and over and over. Um, the scenes where they're in the city with all the um, the neon lights and the billboards and everything. It was just so fascinating. And um, also, um, the movie Spirited Away came out um, around the same time. And I remember... Wait, wait, wait. wait. That's, that's one of this famous Japanese director. What, yes, what Hayao Miyazaki. He's Correct. Not. Yeah, yeah. We we actually saw it in Spanish. Ah, El Viaje de Chihiro. They call it in Spanish. Yeah, uh, in Japanese. Sento Chihiro no Kamikakushi in Japanese, and um, and so in Japanese it means Sin and Chihiro's spiriting away, and uh, 
And um, I, I begged my mom. I was visiting my mother for a weekend or something at the time. And we were at an electronic store. And I saw Spirited Away on the shelf. And um, I begged her. And she bought it for me. And so between that movie and Lost in Translation, it was, I, you know, it became the obsession. Um, but still, I never thought that I would ever actually go to Japan. And um, so, I mean, fast forward uh, 2007. Um, at the beginning of the year, my New Year's resolution was to travel to Japan. I was like, I want to go to Japan because I, I had just become so... Um, about it. Yeah. And another thing that happened was um, I had a friend from Minnesota, which is in the northern part of the United States, next to Canada. And he, um, I worked with him and he moved back to Minnesota. And the winter of 2007, uh, the, um, around February, I went to Minnesota to visit him. And that was my first time ever flying in an airplane. And it was my first time ever seeing snow. And while we were in, <laughs> while we were in Minnesota, um, I offered to pay him to drive up to Canada. I said we have to drive up to Canada and cross the border, and so I can say I've been to Canada. And and so with that cleared out of the way, once I, I went to Canada for the first time, and we spent two nights I think in Canada. It was the middle of winter. Um, it was freezing completely covered in snow but we went and um the city we went to was called winnipeg and uh it's it's canadians always joke about winnipeg um as being uh the city that's you know backwards and it's um way out in the middle of nowhere there's nothing to do there it's surrounded by farmland for hundreds of miles in every direction and um it's basically the crappiest city to live in in canada and uh so but it was okay because it was close to Minnesota. <laughs> and so, um, but as far as I was concerned, it was amazing. I remember just being so fascinated with everything. Every little difference, I was, I was keen on, on pointing it out. You know, I had to, I had to observe everything. And, um, and it was after that trip, that's when I really um, said, well, I've been to Canada now. Now I need to go to Japan. And I remember um, that year, I actually, um, what happened was one of my credit card companies sent me a letter in the mail saying that they increased my credit limit. And uh, suddenly I had $2,000 worth of available credit right. or something like that. And uh, yeah, at that moment. You bought the ticket. You bought I the bought plane the, ticket. I bought the plane ticket. And I had already got my passport that year because I knew that I was going to go to Japan at some point in the future and so um, that summer I bought my passport and I was expecting to travel maybe in December over the Christmas holiday and um, and then the credit card limit went up and suddenly I had the money there to that go. was a sign yeah. sign so from you, heaven so you so, uh, <laughs> the, trip, <laughs> the trip got moved up okay so it was July when I got my, my passport and then August was when I got the the um, August was when I got the um, the credit limit increase and it was at the end of August and then the trip was planned for December but I looked at my calendar and everything with school and I um, 
we had like a fall break. And if I would have missed like three, I would have missed three days of school or whatever. Um, in if I would have gone in September. And so I searched in September and found a round trip ticket for maybe seven hundred and fifty dollars. It was really cheap, and I booked it right there. Like same day, I got the letter in the mail from the credit card company saying that I. <laughs> same day, I just went, bam, booked the ticket right there that day. That, ladies and gentlemen, is conviction. <laughs> and um, yeah, four weeks later, it, it was so fast from that point because, like I said, the 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 plan was to lead, to go four months from that point, and then suddenly the trip got moved up to just four weeks away, and. Um, and I remember um, just being at the airport the morning that uh, I was leaving for Japan. I was I I was grinning from ear to ear. I couldn't stop smiling. I was so happy. And um, and then I remember uh, I still remember the names of the two people that sat next to me on the plane. It was Kenta and Yuri. They sat next to me <laughs> on the flight from Houston, Texas, to Tokyo. And uh, you, have, you still have contact with them? No, but I remember their names. <laughs> so, well, per uh, perhaps they hear this podcast and remember you. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. come on, yeah. Uh, and, but I remember, um, I remember getting off the plane in Tokyo, and I, I just, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I remember landing and seeing the cars driving on the opposite side of the road. I remember seeing all the green bamboo and trees. And the little hills that come up above the um, the farmland and everything. I remember landing and seeing that, and just feeling like I actually just arrived on an alien planet. <laughs> so, um, so that trip it was only ten days, and uh, so at four thirty p.m. I landed at the airport uh, in Tokyo, and. Um, I made it to my hotel about two hours later at 6.30, and uh, I checked into my hotel and immediately left, because I couldn't wait any longer to see the city. I, like The clock was ticking, I only had 10 days, and I had to hit the ground running. I was completely jet-lagged, confused and dazed from being on the plane for 16 hours or whatever, And um, but I immediately got on a train and went to Shibuya, uh, to the, the big crossing, which is... Um, where there's thousands of people crossing at one time and neon lights everywhere and video screens and people yelling at you through megaphones. It's complete sensory overload. And I remember walking out of the train station for the first time. And, um, and actually, um, YouTube was a thing by this point because this was in September of 2007. And so YouTube was alive <laughs> and running. And I remember watching a video of the crossing And I followed the same path because the video was getting off the train and then walking to the main intersection. And I remember following the same path as the video and then just being completely in awe of all the lights and um, everything just blasting at you at one, one, one moment. And, um, and then after that, so this is the first night that I arrived in Japan. And after that, I went to the Tokyo Tower And went to the top of the building, uh, went to the top of the tower, took pictures of the city. Um, and then I went back uh, and explored the neighborhood that uh, my hotel was in. And, uh, and yeah, that was the first night. And over the course of that trip, it was only 10 days. 
But I remember everything was magical in the city. Everything. Um, there were the, uh, the the music that the, the the trains played when they arrived at train stations, and um, the announcements, uh, the hand straps with the Japanese advertisements on them on the trains, uh, the statues in public squares, all the neon lights, everything. Uh, it was just so much new information coming in at one moment, and um, it was more than I have ever seen in all the materials that I had looked at while growing up. So, um, I I went home sad <laughs> to, to leave Japan. Um, there was knowing, actually, but knowing that you you wanted to go back soon, right? Yeah, yeah, I went back um, definitely. Wishing I could turn around and go right back to Japan. Like, I hadn't seen enough. One thing I did while I was in Japan was I rented a car. And I was 19 years old. <laughs> I got an international driving license um, before coming to Japan. And um, I rent. I was able to rent a car in Japan. But the Japanese and, used the, the English system for driving. How did you handle yes. that? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> every time I was, every time I would make a turn, I would kind of gravitate towards the right side of the road, being used to driving in America, and um, everything was in Japanese. All the signs were in Japanese. Once you get out of the city center, it's uh, really Japanese, and um, I, I think I pretty much had a panic attack, but I made it to my destination anyway. I wanted to go to um, this town called Nikko, way up in the mountains. It was about two and a half hours north of Tokyo by car. And um, I made it. I printed out all the maps beforehand. I found my way to Nikko. Uh, I got to Nikko and was so overwhelmed <laughs> with the um, with with driving through that uh, to get there. Um, I think I stayed about 45 minutes before I had to get back in the car and drive back to Tokyo. I couldn't handle it. It was just too much at one one time. And um, so I went to Nikko. But I didn't do anything in Nikko. I didn't go to any of the shrines or anything. I couldn't find anything. I was completely lost. And um, I drove back to Tokyo. And uh, I remember I parked my car for the, that one night at my hotel. It was like maybe $40 US just for one night to park the car. And uh, I returned it the next morning. And so the, the second time um, I came to Japan... Um, I uh, went back to Nikko, but I took a bus tour instead, uh, so I I could actually see where everything was at and uh, actually see um, everything there in Nikko. Um, so that was really nice. Uh, and now, uh, actually, I bring people to Nikko all the time. Um, in fact, um, um, I brought you to Nikko, yeah. didn't I? Yep, correct. Okay. We, we went to Nikko right. when I met you in Japan. Okay. And it was your friends, too, that came right after. I think I brought them there, too. Maybe. Anyway, now I've been to Nikko, I think, eight or nine times. I just went, like, last week, I think. I brought my mom. She was in Japan visiting. And so... Um, but anyway, the, the first trip... Um, Uh, it was mainly in Tokyo. I didn't really travel much outside of the city. Um, there was just so much to see in Tokyo that trip. And um, so when I went back to the United States, I immediately began planning for the second trip. Like it, it was 
there was no gap in time from the, from landing and the beginning of planning the next trip. And um, it was uh, maybe two years, a little more than two years before um, I was able to, to go. Um, in the in 2008, I got a really a much better job um, working at a blood donor center, and my salary was much <laughs> higher than it had been before. And um, so suddenly, I had a lot more money. And starting in um, 2009, um, in the U.S., what you can do uh, to make sure you don't owe tax money in the spring. You can have the company withhold extra money from your paycheck, and so throughout 2009, expecting that I would be going to Japan at some point in the future, I started having my employer withhold an additional fifty dollars or seventy-five dollars per paycheck okay. from from my salary. So I was paid every two weeks, and so I was e essentially saving about one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars a month that way. And I can't touch it. It's not in a savings account. I can't touch it. It's it's all being sent to the government to be held for me. And um, at the beginning of 2010, I set a goal. I wanted to go to Japan by the end of May. That was the target, to make it by the end of May. Um, and in January, when I filed my taxes, I got back maybe $2,000 U.S., that I had saved up basically by by giving the government extra money, it got all returned to me because I had overpaid by so much, and so that was my money right there. I booked everything in January, uh, and I ended up uh, leaving for May 14th. And I this time I booked a trip for 23 days because I wanted to see more of the country and everything. And every paycheck after that, um, I would buy something for the trip. So one paycheck, I would buy a tour package of Nikko, and then one for Fuji, and then one for um, I don't know, where else? Nagoya, I went to, um, and then I bought a real pass for one week in the country. And uh, so when I arrived in Japan the second time, I already knew where everything was at. It, it, it was like I was returning home, and it was everything was familiar. I remember landing and feeling, ha. Huh, I'm back, you know, and it, <laughs> it was so, 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 it's so weird because before I was always, you know, I never, ever thought I would travel to Japan. And here I am going for my second time for three weeks and, um, and still having a job, you know, at the same time, you know, and still having money coming in. And, um, so I remember landing, I remember getting on the train, going to Tokyo, um, and, uh, this time, uh, I had no trouble finding my way around. I remembered where everything was at. Um, Tokyo felt familiar to me. And uh, that was really cool. Because with Tokyo being familiar, I could travel outside of the city and not feel like I'm missing out on anything in the city. And um, when I activated my rail pass, uh, it was like the first time I went to Japan. It was I was constantly moving at every minute of the day. Um, I went to... Uh, out of the seven days of my rail pass validity, I traveled for six of those days around the country. Wow. And so um, I would wake up at five o'clock in the morning <laughs> and get on a train at six in the morning 
arrive in so one 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 trip was uh I, I left when i went to hiroshima i went for one day i left at six in the morning it was a four hour train ride 10 o'clock i got there i spent eight hours in hiroshima i went to the peace park and I went and saw the uh, the ruins of the the bank building that was there at Ground Zero, um, and then at 6 p.m. I got on a train and went back to Tokyo for more hours. So eight hours of train rides and eight hours of sightseeing, and um, I did that basically every day of the trip. Um, but there was one tr- uh, one tour that I took um, of uh, Kyoto and Nara in the western part of the country and um, the tour began at eight o'clock in the morning and it was impossible to get to Kyoto from Tokyo that early in the morning so um, I would have arrived late so I would have needed to stay in a hotel or something in Kyoto the night before and uh, I didn't want to do that so I started thinking and brainstorming and this is really where um, it gets fun for me because I love to think of these crazy schemes of how I can beat the system. <laughs> and uh, I found out that the rail pass was valid for um, overnight trains in the country. So the day before, um, I took a trip to the Japanese west coast to the city of Niigata, which no one goes to. No one goes to Niigata except Japanese people. And um, it's so far out of the way that some of the, the signs on streets are in Korean and Russian instead of English and Japanese. Like, they're in Japanese and Korean, Japanese and Russian, but not Japanese and English. I mean, that's how far out. <laughs> Dumas, and, um, you, everyone has stared at you. Like, the only foreigner. I remember going into Starbucks and someone telling me in, in broken English, oh, no, because I was taking a picture of the menu inside of Starbucks because I'm still I'm absorbing information. I'm in a different city in Japan with no English-speaking people, and so I have to take a picture of the menu in Starbucks. And I remember them telling me, oh, maybe in America it's okay. Japan, no. I'm like, God, sorry. But I got the picture anyway. <laughs> Um, but I remember Niigata being completely different from Tokyo. It was, um, it definitely looked like the city had been in decline for a long time. Um, there were a lot of factories, uh, a lot of places were closed down and out of business. And the day that I was there, it was really uh, hazy and misty and overcast, and it was kind of gloomy. Um, but I, I, I walked from the main station all the way to the coast because I, um, It was one of those things that I had to do. You know, I had to see the west coast of Japan. How long Say did I it take you? The country, maybe an hour and a half to walk from the station to the coast. And and in the meantime, I mean, I'm walking through neighborhoods and everything. So I'm. It's all. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Short Circuit, with Johnny Five the robot, and he's walking out, uh, or he's he's rolling out, and he just keeps saying input, input. That's how I felt. <laughs> just so much information, you know, um, it, coming into me that it didn't matter. I don't mind walking an hour and a half. It's fine. I would have walked two or three, four hours, whatever. Um, but I, I remember Niigata having nothing to do. Uh, there was nothing to do in that city. Um, it was just completely boring. And it was the first time I've ever experienced being bored in Japan. I was like, ugh. <laughs> 
There's nothing to do. And the overnight train didn't leave until 11 p.m. or something like that. And so um, I was so bored, I just decided to go back to the train station. And I waited for like five hours or something for the, the train to leave. And um, I bought like a book of Sudoku puzzles and I was just doing that. It was so boring. Um, but when I the train was finally boarding, um, I saw two Europeans sitting on the on the um, or European looking people uh, sitting on a bench on the train platform and um, I immediately walked up to them you know being completely naive expecting they would speak English back to me and I'm like where are you from and uh, they just kind of looked at me with a really confused look and they're like uh, we don't speak English basically you know and um, I still for some reason, you know, I gravitated to them. And uh, so we, we started talking. They couldn't speak English. I, uh, they, they were Russian, actually. And uh, <laughs> I couldn't... I, I mean, I can't speak Russian. They can't speak English. Um, and um, stereotypically, they carried um, two big bottles of vodka in their backpacks. <laughs> and shot glasses, of oh, course. Nice. And so they offered drinks. They were like, let's drink, because we were on the train and everything. And so um, we went through maybe a whole bottle of vodka and just right there on the train. And they were the nicest people. It was great. Um, uh, and I'm from the American South, and we talk to anybody. We just, we walk up to people and we just start chatting with them. It's kind of just in our nature. And so um, we found a way to communicate. We were chatting about what it was like in our countries. Um, they had Russian money on them, and I was fascinated by that. So I gave them some American money. They gave me some of their Russian money. They were way more interested in my American money, <laughs> I think, than, <laughs> I than anything else. I can fully assure you that they have seen American money before. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they were interested in, in, in changing it. They were like, you can have all of our Russian rubles. Just give me <laughs> that that um, that $5 banknote, you know. Um and so they were really excited about that. And uh, they were really nice people. And um, <laughs> before going to Japan, I had watched um, a movie called Trans-Siberian. Yeah, I, I watched uh, it. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great movie. I love it. And um, But um, for some reason, um, when I finally went to sleep on the train, um, I had a dream that I was basically living through... <laughs> the movie Trans-Siberian. And they, the two Russians on the train were the agents that yeah. were abducting me. Okay. And, you know, dreams are really weird and all these crazy things happen and, and everything. But I specifically remember in the dream, it was almost a lucid dream. I remember them digging through my backpack, stealing my wallet, my passport, all of my information, everything, and um, running away. And... Uh, I remember I woke up, it was maybe 5.30 in the morning, the sun was just starting to come up over the hills, um, and I started, I, I started frantically looking through my backpack, I was like, where's my wallet, where's all my, you know, and, my passport um, and all that. <laughs> exactly, and you know, it was still there, and, and it was just me being um, paranoid and everything about having seen the movie, so, um, yeah. So I think the moral of that, you know, is sometimes your your subconscious con conflicts with what your, uh, you know, your your outward image is. Uh, you know, be like I said, being from the south and being so um, 
quick to strike up a conversation with somebody, but in the back of my head, I was freaking out like I was in,、uh, on a subconscious level, freaking <laughs> out like I was in the movie Trans Siberian. So,、um, yeah. And so、uh, after the second trip to Japan, after 23 days of, and, and it was weird because after, after about two weeks of being in Tokyo,、uh, you start to slip into a routine. Where you're waking up in the morning, you're stopping at the coffee shop, getting your,、uh, stopping at the bread place, and、uh, getting on the train with the other commuters, you know,、uh, going to the different sites in the city. It, it was a routine, and it, it,、um, I liked it. It was, it was so cool. Was like, every day I would do something different in the city. And,、uh, and I remember when I went home from that trip, <laughs> uh, maybe it was the, the jet lag.、Um, Maybe I'm just a weirdo.、Uh, but I remember getting in the car、um, and driving back to,、uh, from the, the airport and、uh, just crying. Like, I, uncontrollably, I couldn't stop crying. I was like, I can't believe that I have to come back here. I hate it here. I just want to live in Japan. And、uh, I think that, that was around the, the time where I knew that I had to leave. <laughs> that, that, it, that leaving and coming to Japan to live would be. The right thing to do.、And、If you so, ask us, there were a lot of pretty clear signs before that, but okay. Yeah, yeah that,、right? was, that was definitely the, the biggest it, it, flag. Yeah, and after the second it, one, it, he decided it, to. The next trip, takes me a while. you will stay in Japan. It takes me a while sometimes. So、um, I, <laughs> I immediately changed everything. When I got back to America after that trip,、um, I immediately changed、um, everything. I changed my major in school so I could finish quicker. Um, I, um, I stopped、um, buying new things for my apartment, like in lieu of knowing that I would be leaving. I knew it by this point. I was like, I'm leaving. I'm moving to Japan. I don't know when. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know how much it's going to cost me. I don't know what I'm going to do there, but I'm moving to Japan. I was completely set on it at that, at that time. And、uh, so I stopped making close relationships with people. <laughs> like, I was prepared for two years before moving to Japan. And、uh, so I, I, re I returned from Japan in 2010. It was June 7th, I, I came back.、Um, that fall, I changed my major in my university so that I could finish quicker. And I graduated in the spring of 2012. So there was a two year period between my, trip to, my second trip to Japan and my graduation. And I was so dead set on moving to Japan、um, that I had already applied for a position teaching English in Japan before I even graduated. And I had an interview lined up before I even graduated. And,、uh, With the expectation that I would graduate, of course. And so May 8th, I think I graduated university. May 20th, I had to travel to Toronto again. I went to Canada for the third time because、um, in between I had gone to Vancouver. And so this is my third trip to Canada. And、um, so 12 days after graduation, I went to、um, Canada and interviewed for a position teaching English in Japan. So that was a new experience. I'm having a job interview in a second country for a job in a third country. And、uh, 
that weekend was a nightmare. It was the the scariest thing ever because it was you know um, the anticipation. You don't know how you did during the interview because the interview session was really intense. You had to do a demo, and、uh, you had to really get involved, and、um, you had to shed all of your pride and you had to shed all of your dignity and just go at it. And、uh, I did, and、um, I came back or I went back to Louisiana on. The Sunday, and then Monday morning, there it was in my inbox. Congratulations, you've been selected. And I, <laughs> if, if if I was a country, okay, I there would have been celebrations in the streets. It would have been like <laughs> the the fall of a, a dictator or something. It, it was just, I was, it was amazing. And、uh, I went to work that day. I. I I couldn't work. I was just so happy, and、um, but then came the wait. So I had to wait for a position to come up. So I was selected, but I had to wait. And months went by, and I was like, was, "At any day now, I'm going to be moving to Japan, but I don't know when." And so there was,、um, it was driving me crazy. And it wasn't until November that I actually got a placement. So、um, the whole summer went by. And I kept working and working, and、um, finally,、uh, the very beginning of November, I got the email that I was going to be starting my job in Japan on January 14th of last year. And so,、um, when I got that email,、um, I immediately posted on Facebook for everybody: "This is the day I'm moving away." You know, and uh, so um, it was weird though, because it was. Moving to Japan, you know the whole process and everything,、uh, getting rid of all of my stuff.、Um, it was really depressing, you know. And、uh, <laughs> having to say goodbye to all of my friends is I, I, I tried to find time to see everyone before I left and everything. But then、um, when I landed in Japan with all of my stuff, I got off the plane. It was almost like I I, find, I breathed、uh, a sigh of relief because I had put so much effort. Into moving, and it finally became real. And、uh, but yeah, I got off the plane and immediately just jumped back into my routine. It was it was crazy. <laughs> so it was as I, I I had no trouble finding the train. I knew where everything was. I got to the city with no problems. I went to the hotel I stayed at because、uh, in 2010 the hotel I stayed in、uh, was a small family run hotel. And so I the day after, or、uh, the actually the day I arrived, maybe. No, the day after, because I spent the night at the airport、um, at a hotel. The next morning, I went to the hotel that I had stayed in in 2010, met with the family, said hello to them. They all remembered me and everything. It was great, and、um, and that's when I got my my apartment and、uh, and settled down over here. And now I've been here for almost a year and a half, and、uh, I definitely have no regrets.、Um, You're happy, happier、fun. than ever. Happier than ever. I've never been this happy. Absolutely. And、uh, my family all doubted it. They they thought I'd be back quickly. They、uh, my grandparents came last year in August to Japan, and they booked the flight in April, which was three months after I moved to Japan. And when they told my my dad that they were coming to Japan and they had booked a flight and everything, <laughs> they asked my dad and his his wife. Ask them. Well, do you think he's still going to be living there in August? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and、um, 
So I think even to this day, they think that I'm, I'm going to um, be back any day now. And uh, I don't think I can. No. <laughs> I think it would be too long. <laughs> they only, they only have to listen to you to, to realize that that's not going I, to happen. It, it, it would be too hard, I think. Um, uh, it's, I've invested just so much energy and everything into moving here uh, that um, I don't think I could ever go back. <laughs> And it's not and kind just of about erase all the progress. Your your energies, just that you feel comfortable there. It's it's it, the way you talk yeah, about it's it. Weird. You, it's noticeable. No, it's, it's an yeah. amazing story. Huh? You started from I, I, from Louisiana, living in a house with no neighbors and playing in the fields like you were in the city with a dream that you wanted we weren't to go even to. Living, we were living in a in an old mobile home. We were living in a trailer. In a trailer. Really from a fucking dominant. trailer to fucking Tokyo. Th this is an to, amazing story. And, Now I've got, uh, I live on the, the 14th floor of um, an apartment building. I have a great view of the city and everything. And uh, yeah, it, I, I, if, if you would have asked me 10 years ago uh, where I would be now, um, I think the answer would have been completely different. I, I don't think I would have ever imagined at any point ever being able to travel, exactly. let alone live somewhere else. And, oh, yeah. And, um, and the, it happened. The good thing um, about the story is that you said you set on uh, small goals at first. You wanted to go to Canada. Incremental. Yeah, <laughs> you did it. Then you wanted to go to Japan. When you got the credit card, uh, the thousand dollars that you can spend in the credit card, you, you didn't think it. You just bought it. You knew that you I wanted just did to it. go there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there yeah. was. I mean, there are a lot of people who are actually constantly thinking about what they really want to do on their life but uh, that that split second decision that you took set everything yeah. it was it, it, you didn't even have to think about it you were absolutely completely clear of what you wanted and it, it, it's, it's awesome it's, oh, and, it's and really paid off after the first uh, time you went to Japan when you uh, got back yeah. uh, you set up your goal for the next time And the second time yeah. when you go back, you, you set up your uh, I mean, your last goal right now is to, you wanted to move there and you did it. You made it. <laughs> so Yeah, only problem is um, this was a really big one. And I don't know um, <laughs> what the next goal is. I think maybe uh, I want to go to I want to go to graduate school now and maybe um, go into what I always want. Yeah, I, I'm interested in because of all the travel as a kid and everything. I'm, I've always been interested in cities and uh i think okay. i i'd really like to enter a program here in japan for urban planning and public policy and uh so i think that might be the next step at some point in the next couple of years right now i'm learning japanese and i'm doing my best but it's hard it's pretty right? different from english <laughs> <laughs> so um i'm getting there but uh i still have a long way to go so Um, I'm going to focus on that right now at the moment, but uh, eventually I'd like to go back to school. Um, and then I, I obviously I have a ton of student loans from university because uh, it's America <laughs> and it's expensive. And um, so that needs to get paid down a little bit too. So yeah. starting this summer, I'm going to start paying on student loans. So. <laughs> um, but it, it, yeah, it, it's all going to... To work out at the end it has so ah. far well that's the thing you know i mean um sometimes you just have to you have to go with your gut instinct on things you know because yes. um 
you might miss out on a lot of opportunities if not. You know, if I would have stayed completely convinced that I would never leave my hometown, and um, if I would have told myself that I didn't deserve better, uh, I would have never come to Japan ever, and I would still be there. I'd probably be working.、Um, I mean, I probably wouldn't be working a bad job because I'm.、Uh, I've always been kind of an academic, so it's. I would have probably worked my way up, but you know, it would have been nothing like what I'm doing now. And、um, this job is great. I mean, I'm working only 30 hours a week. They sponsor my visa.、Um, I have eight weeks, I think, of vacation time throughout the year with my company.、Um, making everyone、so、much... envious. Yeah, even Europeans, right?、Yep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so I've got so much time to travel and、um, see the country, see more of it. I just went to Osaka last week, and I went back to Kyoto.、Um, I've been to I've been going to a lot of the smaller cities in the country、um, and experiencing、uh, the local food and culture and everything. So it's been really nice.、Um, so you can say that you know、uh, nowadays you know more Japan than.、Uh, And the United States. No,、right? no, no. no wait,、cities. wait. Don't,、oh. don't challenge、oh, no. this guy. You have absolutely no well, idea, the encyclopedic knowledge yeah, of perhaps, geography. Perhaps, this guy perhaps has.、Uh, more towns and <laughs> cities. I don't know. The United States is huge, but I mean, they have fifty states. And when I was traveling、It's... Japan, this guy showed me a map he made in, in, with absolutely no reference. Wait, wait. The, but the Reddit, United... Reddit was not impressed. Oh fuck! Oh,、something. come on. <laughs> no, he made like a complete map with all the states, all out of his memory, out of heart. No, no maps, no reference. He just draw it. I know that. That's one thing. All the states. I don't like、really? to brag. I don't like to brag, but、um, I know Japan better than I, I know Tokyo better than a lot of people that have been living here their whole life,、oh. and I, I would stand by that claim. <laughs>、um, and.、Uh, But yeah, I've always been interested in geography and how things interact with each other spatially, and、uh, yeah, even to, as a kid, I was able to draw these crazy maps and stuff like that from memory. And、um, my family was always impressed by how I could do that and everything. But you're going to make a brilliant urbanist. I'm pretty sure of it. I hope so. Well, maybe one day. <laughs> maybe one day. Well, maybe have some type of consulting business.、So. Yep. It has been an excellent story. I think that this is going to be a, a really, really good episode, and I'm glad you shared that with us. I'm, I'm really glad. Good. I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you,、uh, you thought about me、uh, whenever you, you decided to make this. So <laughs> appreciate it. Right. So, would you like to say something in Japanese to finish? Something in Japanese. Whatever you want. What、man. do you want me to say? Whatever you want. No, no. Ah, there's a one thing they say. It means do your best、uh, in Japanese. It's ganbatte. You can say so. Ganbatte <laughs> to everyone. Good luck with everything that、Thank、you're you. trying to do. So. Domo arigato gozaimashita. Arigato gozaimashita. David Sam. Well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. You, thank well, you so, Sama is customer. <laughs> so. Oh, damn it!、Uh, whatever. We just leave that in. D- just call me David Sun, David Sensei. Yeah. <laughs> David All、right. Sensei. All right. All right. Thanks. Well, I... Thank you. Thank you、yeah. very much. 
and uh, yeah thank you for having me and, uh, and talk to I'll you look... soon okay yeah thanks a lot yep. take care goodbye all right I hope David's story inspired you he achieved all the goal he set up to and got to Japan if David was able to accomplish his dreams why can't you so that would be it for today thanks for listening and please remember to share and like us on Facebook See you next time with another amazing story. Cheers. Goodbye.